This week on A Lively Experiment, a vaccination mandate for healthcare workers takes effect this weekend. How will it impact the industry? Plus, another candidate plans a run for governor. We'll tell you who it is. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazenwhite Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Target 12 investigative reporter, Tim White, Brown University political science professor, Wendy Schiller, and former state representative, Joe Trillo. Welcome, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. Governor McKee's deadline for healthcare workers to get vaccinated has arrived, although it's a relatively small percentage who have chosen not to get the shot. Some fear it could exacerbate an already strained workforce. There's a lot to unpack here, Wendy. Let's start with the mandate. And then there's the issue of could we see a surge coming in in the fall? McKee has held the line on this. There's been a lot of pressure for him to back off. There was a little bit of compromise, but he's he's holding steady on this. Yeah, I mean, I also see the governor of New York State grappling with this right now because there's a lot of healthcare workers who say, listen, I'm not going to do it, and you can lay me off or you can fire me, and someday you'll probably call me back. Um, we know that the unemployment subsidy now for COVID is over, so it's regular unemployment. It's not the extra subsidy, so I think that's going to hurt a few people. Uh, but and I mean, you can't get unemployment if you refuse the vaccination and then you get Yeah, fired. that's my understanding. Yeah. So I think, I think it's a tough situation. I mean, you know, you struggle with should the government or a private business, you know, force you to get vaccinated. But we do have a precedent in this country, uh, uh, both legally in terms of government and Supreme Court and also private business and schools. You know, when I was a kid, you had to have rubella, you know, measles, mumps. You had to have that to go to school. There wasn't any discussion about it. You had to get vaccinated. So I think that's the way it's going to go. And I, I feel for people who are reluctant about it. But on the other hand, this is a public health crisis. And unless a critical level, in fact, now we're thinking everybody has to get vaccinated, we can't defeat COVID and we can't to be COVID, we can't get back to life as we knew it. Well, I, I tend to agree with Wendy. You know, let's get this on tape. I know <laughs> that will not last. Go ahead. <laughs> we're all uh, concerned about our personal rights being taken away. And while I believe firmly that you shouldn't have to get the vaccine if you don't want it, I also believe that when your rights interfere with somebody else's rights, now you have to evaluate it. In this particular case, if I get sick from some other reason other than the flu and I go to the hospital, should I have a reasonable uh, expectation that the hospital took steps to protect me from getting, from getting COVID? And, and the reasonable effort would be to make sure that the people who are working in that place are vaccinated. So I agree with, I agree with the governor. I think that we need a, uh, a mandate and we need to push it. If somebody doesn't want to get it, don't get it. it could, you could lose your job. Well, you're making a conscious decision not to get it. That, now, the only other place that I feel as though maybe they should have consideration is if somebody already had COVID and they over it. I almost think that and, and the jury's not out who's right and wrong. Some people say that you're the seven times enough. more yeah. antibiotic. But the bottom line is you're somewhat more protected than somebody that doesn't. So maybe that, that could be an exception. Vaccine mandates are withstanding uh, legal scrutiny right now. So the, the law seems to be on, on their side. I do think 
we're hearing a lot of people who are concerned about maybe this increasing the staffing shortage at hospitals, but let's take the flip side of the coin. If the governor in Rhode Island, if the governor in New York State had not done this vaccine mandate and then people started getting sick in hospitals because uh, they, you know, they didn't enforce vaccines in a healthcare setting, they'd be getting a lot of grief for that as well. I, I, I read these stories. The Journal had a story yesterday about a nurse who'd worked for 25 years and was just adamant and willing to lose her job. So I try to put myself in that person's shoes. Why are you so adamant? But as Joe said, it's a personal choice in the long run. The governor has made a just he's massaged it a little bit that if you're in a critical care, but it's, you know, setting and you're really going to be hamstrung that you can, we can give you a little bit of time. But beyond the 30 days, no. Well, we have all these stories in the South in particular, and thankfully it's finally starting to subside a little bit in the South because those numbers have been devastating. Thousands of people are dying. And you have people who need hospital care, as Joe's pointing out, who can't get into a hospital, can't get an ICU, has a heart attack. For other things, yeah. Yeah, and dies because they can't get into a critical care unit because it's full of COVID patients. So, I mean, I think we have to, the only way to get this under control is to have everybody have a certain level of immunity. And I think you're right, Joe. They just don't know quite how much immunity you have once you get COVID and recover. But we just need a critical mass of everybody to have immunity one way or the other. And I, and I think this is just shows inequity in the, in the professions. You know, I have a mandate from my employer to be mm -hmm. vaccinated. I didn't have a choice. That was it. Uh, this is the job I have. This is the circumstances. They're making me get vaccinated. And I, I got vaccinated. So I, I, I feel for this woman. But I also think you're also a nurse and you understand the science of this. And you understand that you need everybody to be vaccinated, particularly in a healthcare setting. One other area that's kind of fallen under the radar, at least in my mind, but certainly for not parents, is schools. Yeah. So you and I had a talk the other day before, uh, before this. My kids are out of school. You have two right in the wheelhouse. What's going on? It seems a lot different than it was a year ago that if kids get the sniffles, the coughs, whatever, they're out, but there's not that option for the virtual anymore, School right? School districts and the state were caught flat-footed. That is the bottom line here. Um, ironically, the schools were more prepared in 2020 than they are in 2021. My daughter, uh, you know, entered high school this year. She ha had a cold. We were responsible parents. We notified the school. She had to go get a test. Her, she's vaccinated. She got a rapid test, negative, but they want the PCR. And because the state of testing in Rhode Island right now, it took three days to get back. What did that mean for her? Three days of lost learning because there is no hybrid option going on right now. And that is true in our school district and most school districts across the state. The question is, these are school leaders and our state leaders. Why didn't they look into this more? We're hearing this from, from a lot of parents. And why aren't they doing like other states are doing and implement the test and stay policy? You have a symptom, you get a rapid test at the school um, in other uh, states, it comes up negative and you do that for five days, you can stay. Um, it just seems like Rhode Island was ill-prepared. You wonder, Joe, too, we've been talking about um, Providence has, has gotten the lion's share, but overall they brought the commissioner in to look. These test scores are horrible. We've had kind of a lost year. You wonder whether this is going to be another lost year. I hate to say that in front of a parent. Yeah. We're only in September, but you wonder, are we setting ourselves up for another horrible year for these kids? Well, I think we are, and I, I think there's just too much uh, – 
too many people are running scared over this virus. Not that it's not serious. It is serious. But if you're vaccinated, I'm confident that if you get it, you're not going to die from it, at least in the, in the vast majority of people. I think to some extent we need to plow through this. We just can't keep functioning for the next five years doing this. And, and you know, I even have a conspiracy theory. I believe that the Democrats want to keep this alive for another year so that they can rig the elections again. Right. Well, that's ridiculous, Joe. Uh, and I'm just going to say that flat out. Well, we, I knew you would say that. That's Wendy. ridiculous <laughs> because it doesn't help the Democrats. This is the thing. You know, I, I'm not going to dismiss all conspiracy theories, but it actually doesn't help the Democrats to have people home all the time consuming social media, consuming misinformation. I mean, it actually helps the Democrats to have people out the door and not have time to be persuaded by social media, which the Republicans have done a better job of. So I, I disagree that there's a political incentive for them to keep what helps the Democrats, Wendy, and you're missing the thing, is they get a right to do all the antics that they did in the last election, mail ballots to oh everybody. Allow, mail, what is wrong with mail-in ballots? I, I mean, could print 2,000 ballots Cal tomorrow, Washington, and there's no check Washington, on those ballots no, where they're coming no, from. No, 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 no. Washington State and Oregon have done vote-by-mail for many years with no problems at all. Colorado, which used to be a Republican state in the presidential race, is lean blue now. They're, they've been doing mail-in. They're all mail-in. We're mail not talking about California the states that have been doing it. We're talking about the states that used it yeah, as an excuse Joe, I was mail out Joe, I was out in Arizona. Arizona, just as the Republican audit was shown that audit. Biden actually got more votes. It's not a question. Oh, he got more? There's no question about that. But people so the could election have printed 50,000 more ballots and just put them all in for Biden because there were no checks and balances. That's right. ridiculous. Every you, election you're saying I can't counterfeit a ballot? a ballot? No, but you can check a ballot. They checked the signatures. They did it all what over check? the country. They didn't check anything. So when Trump won in 2016, everything was perfect. But when Biden won in 2020, it was rigged. It's ridiculous. Let's get back to COVID for a second. I actually agree with you on the fact that the society, just as other societies all around the world, um, the people, Italy, for example, Sweden, you know, you don't want people to die. But we've now done all we can do, and vaccines are effective, we hope, in preventing the vast majority of people from dying if they get it. So I agree with you that we have to start going back to life, right? So, I mean, I agree with you. As hybrid learning, this goes to sort of whether Rhode Island schools, and we have so many different school districts and so many different school committees, which is a problem, uh, I think generally for, you know, responding quickly to something like this, is to have technology where you could Zoom. I mean, I did that. Well, summer long, I taught some kids in person, but I also was on Zoom at the exact same mm -hmm. time. So I was, I had, there was a camera, there was Zoom technology, and I was teaching to the camera and the students in the room at the same time. Which it's not the schools have. Why couldn't they do that? Why couldn't they do that at your daughter's school? Do all schools have that? Do all schools have that? Well, just they, set up a laptop. Just set up a laptop. That's, that's right. So she can and listen they, and they to the... Do it. Don't forget, we right. started full in-person uh, remote, excuse in-person remote. We started full remote learning at the beginning of the year, and then a lot of schools transitioned to a hybrid. So they know how to do it. Right. Right. So they should be doing that because that's what, and, and still to this day, if there are people who are out, then we're asked, you know, in my employer to, you know, lecture or tape your lecture or that they can, you know, watch it if they get COVID, for example, or they test positive, they, you know, you just turn on the Zoom technology and then they can see your class. The other question, just before we wrap up uh, COVID, the thing a lot of people are worried about, if there's a surge, do we have it? Are we vaccinated enough to withhold it? And will the governor hold the line? This is Governor McKee, Mr. Pro Biz, Small Business, rather than Governor Raimondo. 
Would we go back to more, I know it's a crystal ball question, would we go back to more restrictions in the fall? And I think the eyes are going to be on the governor because he's kind of resisted that, right? People will not, I, I, I don't know if Joe will agree with me. There's no way people are going to, like, people are done with restrictions. They, you know, we're near 80, what, 88% of at least one right. shot of people right. over the age of 18 in Rhode Island. People have done the right thing. And they think, I've done the right thing, I'm protected, I'll wear a mask inside. You're not going to constrain me in any other way. I'm not going to listen. I, I agree with that. I think it, particularly, let's just not ignore politics, uh, that we're going into 2022. Uh, this will be, that will be front and center for any decision that Governor McKee uh, makes. That said, I think schools might be a different standard. I think you'll find individual school districts, well, we have. We saw Coventry, Coventry has remote. already gone yeah. all remote, at mm -hmm. least for a, a short term. So I think he's going to be more hands-off when it comes to individual school districts and, and allowing them to make their own decisions. But in wholesale shutting things down, like we saw in 2020, barring a massive, you know, a weird, you know, change in the virus. And how would it be if we're 80% vaccinated, you know? Well, yeah, I mean. It should never be. Well, a variant. I mean, I mean, who knows? There's like, a variant, it's but hard to predict. It's hard to predict, but, like, you know, but I, I think that the, the biggest thing would be um, a mask mandate, right? So uh, we have indoor mask mandates at some, in some places now in the country. But, but you know, it's interesting. So I was in Arizona, New Mexico. New Mexico, Democratic governor. You hate to put politics into it. There were indoor mask mandates. We got to Arizona with Governor Ducey, right? We strongly recommend it, but there, and a lot of people were not. I'm going to North Carolina this weekend. They do it by county, indoor mask mandate where I'm going to be. So we're kind of in that city state, you know, but yes. you go to other parts of the country, you realize the dynamics a little bit different. Well, if you look at the statistics, I mean, the top 10 states to come out of this, uh, this, this thing financially are all Republican governor states to have the lowest unemployment rate. The highest unemployment rate, nine out of 10 of the states are Republicans, one Democratic state. Yeah, but you've got states so, like like Florida that's on fire, Highest, uh, And they lost DeSantis COVID is, cases is gone down you know, because of the way we Everybody that tests positive is a case, but the case, the, the quality or the severeness of the disease is nowhere no, but they're the dying yeah, in Florida. What about the I mean, death Florida, numbers? The that, death rate in Florida is, is huge. They're dying. It's they, not just that their they cases are They've got a huge population. Yeah, but even relative per capita, you look at the list. All right, the numbers we'll in Texas and we'll, Florida. We'll circle are, back to this. Also, Florida lost $5 billion. $5 billion they lost in income um, over 2020, despite the fact that they relatively stayed open. A lot of people in America said, I'm not going to Florida. But now maybe they're changing their mind. All right. Uh, the governor's race. Uh, somebody entered the governor's race late on uh, Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. We're taping this on a Thursday. A name that some of you may know, but others may not. David Darlington. Uh, he is not officially announced, but uh, Dave, who was in the uh, Almond administration, and then he was the chairman of the uh, Bridge and Turnpike Authority. Um, Joe, this is news to a lot of people. Let's talk about the larger issue. You got a lot of Democrats. So a lot of people thought Blake Filippi would be a perfect candidate. Now, if Darlington's announcing, you wonder whether he wants to you know, go to all that effort in a primary, which is takes up well, a lot of yeah, time. You know and resources. what? That's that's the that's a long that's a story that everybody wants to avoid with the Republican Party for some reason. It's like we want one person in the race. I think you want more people to come in if they want to run as Republicans and put their name in. So you sharpen so, your knife, win the primary, and then go to the general. Yeah, basically that's what you have to do. That's that's 
our system. And I believe in the system. You know, let as many people that think they want to get in the race. Certainly the Democrats are going to have a, a, a busload of people in this race if it continues the way And it's I think going. that's going to hurt them. Actually, I, I think having that number of Democrats in the primary uh, might mean an opening for a single candidate Republican to come in. You know, we've seen in recent history, Joe, that the, the primary for Republicans hasn't worked out so well. Um, so, you know, the key here is name recognition, name recognition, name recognition. Would a primary help Dave Darlington in that? Um, probably. There would be more debates, things like that. But it would also mean draining the money. The Democrats are going to beat themselves up. Uh, during a primary. And if you have one Republican candidate that is just sort of waiting there and doing a lot of fundraising and, and doing some positive uh, advertising during that time, that could actually benefit them. Well, I don't like the idea, Tim. I, I'm, I'm not saying that I totally disagree with you. I don't like the idea of encouraging people not to get in a race. Oh, certainly. And that's, yeah, and that's, what, it, that's what it looks like. So I think the Republican primary actually could help a candidate, especially in this year. You know, there's nobody talking about running that's run before. So the name recognition that I'm seeing between Blake Filippi and Dave Darlington is, is, is probably less than 10%. When I came out of the General Assembly, my name recognition was 40%. I had done a TV show for 16 years. I had been on this show a million times. I guest hosted on PRO Radio. How can it only be 14%? 16%. We're still trying to figure that out, Joe. Uh, I have no answer to that question. When? No, I mean, I, I do think the Democrats, it's a crowded field now for a governor. And I think there's only so much what we call ideological space that you can occupy on a platform. I mean, how is that much, an academic term? Yeah, it is. I mean, how, how much can you really differentiate yourself from the other people? You know, Nellie Gorbea, Seth Magaziner, McKee, among other people, Matt obviously, Brown. Matt Brown. Uh, what's interesting to me is this whole pairing of lieutenant governor. I think McKee's very very smart strategic decision uh, and, and, and substantive decision uh, to ask Sabino Matos to join him as lieutenant governor. I think, you know, even though technically they don't run together, I think that's a, a pretty good trend for Rhode Island. And I think it empowers in particular um, <coughs> Latinos and women and voters of, of color. But I what think, happens if one wins and one loses? Well, that's going to be a very <laughs> interesting situation because they do not run technically on a, a formal ticket. But I think it changes the dynamics of Rhode Island politics and it, opened, it opens doors and it, it it makes more people influential, particularly in the Democratic primary. Latino vote is very, very important, particularly coming out of Providence and Central Falls. Uh, so when you think about that, you think this is just an interesting trend. So, for example, um, De La Cruz, Representative De La Cruz, very attractive candidate maybe to be a lieutenant governor. Maybe there's a ticket there. I think there's an opening for Republicans, given the number of Democrats that are in the primary. The only problem is they have so much money. The Democrats, just, no matter, but they, could they have spend so a much lot money. of it during the primary, right, as they try to uh, go to the left to, to try and lure that vote. And I, I, I don't know what you think, Wendy, but who does a packed ballot for the Democrats help? Is that beneficial to Governor McKee, the you know presumed incumbent here? He hasn't officially announced, we should point out, but right. everyone's assuming he will. You know, it's an interesting thing. They have a lot of name recognition. It's just your point, Joe. You know, Magaziner and uh, Nellie Gorbea and McKee, at least, and Matt Brown, having run before, they're decently well-known. So the amount of money they'll have to spend just for name recognition, I think, is less than you might expect. And maybe that worked against the Lorza. He had too much name recognition because right. well, everybody think, walked up what he was doing. I think, to me, the pension problem 
problem in Providence was the big thing. And also the gun violence. I think yeah. it's just a tough thing to run uh, under these circumstances for Alorza. So I think it was a pretty smart decision for him not I to I think run. McKee's biggest problem is, is going to be getting through the, pri the Democratic primary mm -hmm. because of his stance with, uh, with charter schools in the past. And I know... But he's courting the He's courting. He's I was just going to say I, that. Let's I, have I, the I, teachers get vaccinated let me tell you first, something. right? That's right. That's right. Those teachers never forget. They're like <laughs> they elephants. Don't, Believe me. They don't forget they Ramondo, never do they? Forget. Yeah, right. And I can tell you that from going from voting for pension reform and going door <laughs> to door. They hung out around your neck. They, they, they? they never forget. I don't care what you're going to do for them. They never forget. <laughs> He's going to get past that. Uh, Joe's, you agree with yeah, me, right? I do agree with you they on that. Never. I will say this one thing, though. If the NEA and the AFT come out and they endorse Governor McKee, let's say, um, that the the thing that comes with that is boots on the ground and the grassroots efforts, the the phone banks, the fundraising, the going door to door kind of thing. That stuff, that's no small thing, and that can really help out. But I, I do think you're right; they never. Although Romano faced the same difficulties and a pretty well financed, crowded uh, primary, and she won, and then she won re-election with bigger margins. So I'm not sure it's a, a path to victory, but and I think also you worry about the flip flopping. You know, he was a very uh, strong strong advocate of charter schools, and now all of a sudden he's not. So I think that's a bit of an no, issue. No, I think he's still an advocate of charter yeah, schools. He's he still too. he's just trying to straddle but the But there fence. was a lot of back-channeling to make sure that legislation yes. did not come up, the three-year moratorium. Yes. There was yeah. a lot of that, that didn't even make it through. You know, the history's on the Republican side. I've been in this market 40 years. Ed yeah. Dupree, yeah. Yeah. Link yeah. Almond, Kachiri, and you're Link Chafee, the, whatever he was when he ran. But you're missing the big picture. What's the, the big, big picture? The big picture is the Democratic, the, the demographics have changed. We have more people in this state today that get a check in some way from the government than we ever had. Going back to Kachiri, it was at 20%. It was at 30% about, about uh, three or four years ago. I would bet it's up to 35 or 40% of everybody in the state of Rhode Island that get a percentage of some form of help from the state. And like those disability. People tend, they, those people tend to vote Democratic. So I think the Republicans are going to have a very difficult time uh, winning this election. Let me, uh, just last question. You've done a lot of reporting. You broke the story on the ILO contract. Mm -hmm. um, what's going on with that? And do you think that's going to be gum on McKee's shoe oh, next yeah. year? Yes, I do. I, I think you, you that can easily be harnessed into you know a negative campaign ad if, if an opponent wants to do that. What's going on just this week? We learned that both the Senate and House oversight uh, committees are going to hold hearings into procurement and how contracts are procured by the state uh, in light of I, the ILO group situation. I think there's a lot of scrutiny on how they were, and we don't have to get in the weeds with this, how this company was able to suddenly get onto the master price agreement, the MPA, so it can go around the normal bidding process there. There's going to be a lot of scrutiny there. And then I think separately, though this hasn't been announced, but I'll put money down, that in the House and Senate Finance Committees, you're going to get a lot of questions to ride maybe to the Department of Administration and the McKee administration about, okay, now that they have the contract, how is, how is that money being spent? And could we have used the up to $5.2 million in other ways, say, in testing in schools or, or something like that? So I think you're going to have it from both fronts, and that might be a headache for the McKee administration. And, and McKee, uh, you know, he acted swiftly, um, you know, with the other issue with Tony the, Silva. With Tony Silva. Uh, but he 
you know, he has a whole circle of people that he knows, that he trusts, that he's been working with for a very long time. And that circle is not really the sort of dominant political force in the state, at least in the Democratic Party right now. So when you think about sort of who his circle is and who, as you're saying, are the people who will decide to vote for him in a primary, they don't match. So he's got to figure out a way of breaking some of those ties and avoiding, this is the second sort of perception that it's an insider game here and he's giving favors to I can people. Hear the, I can hear the political ad now, the Cumberland cabal. What do you think? You know, I had said publicly that I like what McKee's been doing so far. And I just like the way he's been handling things. But with that said, with this, uh, with this ILO situation, who can go out today and form a company and, and register that company and incorporate it tomorrow and receive a $6 million contract f within the same week? Nobody. Yeah. It's impossible. So the, the company has no credibility, no track record, and yet they're being awarded this $6 million contract. How does that ever happen when you've got a company that gave you a lowball bid? And I don't know whether there was a lowball bid. It might have been a legitimate bid. Yeah, we had. Would it bid in at like less than, what was it, 900 and something? There was so West Ed put in $900,000. The yeah. West, was it West? West Company? End. West End. Yeah, we, yeah. Had, we had Angel Tavares on last week, and he said it's an you know he's run a race for governor. He said it's an easy story to explain how bad it is. You don't have to get into all the right, weeds. Yeah. It just looks bad. It so looks bad. And it's the second one. It's the second yeah, one in Tony a short Selma. period of time. So yep. he's got to right that ship, and I think he's going to get attacked in the primary. Of course, we're more than a year away. So yeah, a lot yeah. Can I got yeah. a lot to happen. Yeah. Uh, Tim, let's start with you. Uh, outrage or kudo this week. I'll do an outrage real quick. You know, Bill Belichick's game with uh, reporters is getting old. Uh, maybe the public could <laughs> just kind of giggle at it when, you know, they won. Uh, but now that some guy named Tom Brady has left and he's treating uh, reporters like punching bags at uh, press conferences, that gig, it, it's getting old. Glo a Globe uh, columnist, Joan Vanaki, is that her yeah, that's her name? It, yeah. She had a go and read her article. She did spot on that basically... <sighs> If you're winning, fine. You know, you're a relic, man. Get with the program. Right. So I don't think that's going to happen. Wendy, what do you Well, have? I mean, I, I'm going way back now uh, to my household, which was a, a Giants household uh, and a Ugh. very anti-Dallas household. <laughs> and you think about Tom Landry and you think about the, the way he was treated at the end of his career yeah. and what they did to him in Dallas. You know, that, that can happen. And even to the very, very you know, greatest coaches Did they bury in him in his hat? Did he wear his uh, hat? I don't know honest? about that. I want to be I'm respectful <laughs> for the guy. He did have a pretty good winning record. Um, my outrage is very similar, you always see it is um, very quickly, gun violence obviously, we want to be tough on crime no question about it, but you have to be tough on illegal guns in particular and you have to figure out that we just have too many guns available, you know, you don't have to get into a big second amendment fight, we just have too many guns in America it's too easy to get a gun, legally or illegally and people get shot, you know children get shot, you know, it's just it's awful and we've got to do something about it. We could it. do a whole show on this why this violence, I mean the violence uh, yeah, you can this, always You're having it. breakfast and you get shot to death in the middle of the day in a diner I mean, that just isn't supposed to happen anywhere, much less Providence. So something is deeply wrong, and I don't care. I was like, well, the background, it doesn't matter to me. You shouldn't be shot to death having breakfast in a diner in Providence. So we have to figure this out, and it should be on people's agenda. And it can be illegal guns. I'm not saying it's legal guns. I'm just saying something has to be done where someone feels that they can't get away with doing something like that. Joe, what do you got? First of all, people always blame guns. It's not the guns. It's, and you're not going to stop people from wanting to hurt people. I could stab, you could stab people. And, and that would, that's what we would end up doing if we get rid of the guns. My, uh, my outrage really is that 
both political parties are really good at creating a, uh, a story around nothing or, and blowing it up and blowing it up. And I'll go to one example is, of course, the Trump-Russia collusion, which we know was a joke, but they built it up, they talked about it, and a lot of people believed it. We know today that it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a problem with the Russians that, that, that they put on Trump. But the other, the, my outrage is what they're doing with this ja January 6th insurrection. Look at the tapes now that are coming out. They're showing people walking around with their, their cell phones very calmly like they're in a museum. Yes, there were some people that, that did some bad things. Nobody burned it. Nobody uh, uh, smashed paintings on the wall. We've had that happen in the Rhode Island State House where, where groups have gone in and slashed the oil paintings. They beat up. All right, I'm making an executive decision yeah. right here. This can't end. We're going to do a lively extra segment because uh, <laughs> I know Joe is not going to feel like he's fully vented his spleen. Wendy's not going to be able to go uh -huh. to work thinking about that without answering it. So a quick 10 minutes right now. Go to ripbs.org slash lively. For those of you who can't join us, come back next week. Tim and Joe and Wendy, thank you so much. I encourage you to go online right now. Uh, as we will continue this discussion. Thank you for watching and come back next week as a lively experiment continues. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS.